Today on City Cash Chicago, the Johnson administration signs a controversial $30 million contract to house asylum seekers. There's a compromise to end Chicago's minimum wage, and Soldier Field is home to plenty of football this weekend. Here to dive into the details are Southside Weekly editor Alma Campos and Block Club Chicago's newest investigative journalist, Manny Ramos. It's Friday, September 22nd. I'm Jacoby Cochran, and this is what Chicago's talking about. Morning, Alma. How are you feeling today? I'm feeling great. Thank you for having me. How about you? I'm doing good this morning. I'm glad to have both of y'all. Manny, how you feeling? Doing fantastic. Thanks for having me on again. Appreciate it. You are sitting outside and obviously due to the weather, you got a hoodie on, my friend, and a cap, which uh, just goes to remind everybody that this weekend is the calendar last day of summer. We might probably still have some good weather days outside, but we're officially moving into the fall. All of the tulips have died in my neighborhood. The leaves are changing color. A lot of that summer color is giving way to more oranges and greens. So I want to know what are y'all looking forward to this Chicago fall before we settle into a Chicago winter. Manny, I'm going to start with you. What you looking forward to over the next couple of months? I'm a huge fan of pumpkin patches and things of that nature. So I, I can't wait to start hitting up the corn mazes and, and doing all, you know, apple cider and, and everything like that. So big fan of fall. Love it. And uh, yeah, as, as big, big hoodie guys, you could tell, too. I love it. So you get into the classic fall things. You like to go do the maze. Do you yeah. are you a pumpkin carver as well? I've cut, carved a pumpkin one time in my life. I made a minion, uh, <laughs> one of them little yellow things. Do you carve pumpkins, too? A hundred percent. I'm not an expert. You know, I wouldn't call myself okay. a pumpkin artist, uh, but I definitely, <laughs> you know, chop up a few pumpkins every now and again. I love that. Alma, do you get into the fall spirit as well? Do you like a good pumpkin patch? I do. Um, I actually have a, a nine-year-old uh, daughter. And um, I mean, I guess if it wasn't for her enthusiasm, I wouldn't really get into it uh, as much. But she gets me really excited about it. She's like, you know, are we going to go apple picking and, you know, get a pumpkin? And so, like, I get excited uh, about it with her. So I'm looking forward to all of that. That's beautiful. Every single week on CityCast, we bring in these amazing voices from across Chicago to give us some extra context on the stories that matter to them this week. Uh, and we're kicking it off with a big one that we've been following. Uh, two weeks ago, Mayor Brandon Johnson proposed housing asylum seekers and arriving migrants in these pseudo winterized base camps, as they've been referred to. Uh, we didn't get much word at the time on the timeline, the cost or locations. Uh, it had been pretty mum on new details until this week when a uh, record of a near $30 million contract to construct and operate these said camps became known to the public. Alma, what are the latest details coming out of the Johnson administration? Yeah, right. So like two weeks ago, we didn't really know too much about what this all, um, how it's going to be operated and by whom and the details. But like, yeah, um, the, the news about this broke yesterday about a private facility that will be building asylum seeker camps, right? And this particular facility has had many controversies in the past, um, particularly in Canada and Texas. Facilities uh, guard a world um, and they oversaw the detention of immigrants in um, Vancouver and uh, Texas, uh, Fort Bliss, I believe. And um, there was like this one incident where like in 2021, for example, um, in Vancouver, um, detainees went on a hunger strike three times to protest the really bad conditions at the facility. And 
um, just in 2023 too, there's um, uh, an immigrant who who died after being found in a medical mm-hmm. stress situation in Canada. So, uh, you know, while we do have more details about what will happen to the over 1,600 uh, asylum seekers in police stations, uh, there has been, you know, a lot of controversies about um, this specific facility, you know, operating with, um, you know, particular security, kind of like militarized style. Yeah, Garda World is this private security firm that has operated facilities. It's operated transport for asylum seekers out of Florida. And like you said, they have this this checker pass. The Denver Post has reported on the, I believe the Tampa Bay Times has reported on hunger strikes, uh, uh, constant uh, call from people living inside those facilities of inhumane conditions. People have wondered they've had a checker pass in their security company on, on loss of money. And so the big question that came out to me beyond what the details were, which we found that the contract includes that they'll run the facilities, they'll set them up, they'll have heated tents, they'll have cots, they'll have foot lockers for people, toilet and laundry services. But Manny, I want to bring you in here. Why would the Johnson administration sign a contract seemingly behind cl- closed doors with a questionable uh, company. Yeah, and I think it's important to note that it's not just uh, the city of Chicago. This is a contract that also looks like the state has also participated in. Um, Illinois has a contract, a similar contract already with this organization. It Over $100 million. Be, dollars. Yeah, exactly. And, and it seems to be, you know, out of, an act of desperation in the sense where, you know, we have thousands of migrants still sleeping on the floors of police stations, uh, as well as, you know, over 6,000 have been through 18 shelters across the city. Uh, so the city seems to be in, in, a, in a state of desperation to try to find some type of facility to house these migrants that are coming in uh, from border states. Uh, now, whether or not the, the, these facilities are going to be um, sanitary, uh, you know, we're coming approaching the winter where COVID is seeming to be rampant and whether or not that's going to have a huge influence um, are, are the care is going to be adequate enough. Um, that all remains to be seen. Um, but from the city standpoint, they're looking at it from we need to get these folks out of floors um, and move them to places where we can have a better eye on them. Alma, we're talking about balancing this desperation on the part of the city, we're providing humane resources to people as they arrive to Chicago. How did the Johnson administration respond to these reports that came from from your colleague at Southside Weekly? Um, they basically responded that um, they selected to build and operate the, the shelters, the housing, uh, tents, base camps, uh, basically, uh, which a lot of people actually have referred to as like refugee camps. But um, the Johnson administration basically said it was based on expediency, right? Like Manny pointed out, um, because of the statewide, they have like a statewide master contract with the state of Illinois. Um, and basically that was their response. It was based on expediency, um, and And the prior relationship with the state, the relationship with the state, which, you know, there are criticisms about that. And and it's not like this is unknown to the Johnson administration. Someone in Johnson's staff reached out with concerns after the Denver Post had published their testimony, had reached out to state offices to say, are we looking into this? Are we tracking it? We're seeing reports that uh, people are under trained at these facilities. Like you said, they have these security and military backgrounds, but the checks and balances don't seem to be there. And now, according to the contract, it looks like at least six of these zones would be set up not only in Cook County, but in places like DuPage County, Kane, Lake, McHenry, and Will County. 
but we don't know where exactly they'll be located, when they'll be built, um, how, what their term is, how long they might be there. Uh, even though this $29 million is expected to be paid out over the next year. And, and, and we know, like you said, Manny, the city is desperate. Expenditures to help asylum seekers and migrants may top $300 million going into next year. But these concerns have to be taken seriously. We've already had reports of what are these migrants dealing with at places like O'Hare, inside police stations, people being kicked out of some of the facilities that have been set up uh, in neighborhoods around Chicago. And this seems like another opportunity that even in desperation, the city could have provided better upfront communication. And for us not to get that only makes it, I don't know, a, just a more precarious situation for all people involved. Yeah. And I feel like, I mean, have like, does having a statewide contract, you know, bind you to, you know, having, you know, this facility then be the one that builds the base camps, the tents? Yeah. The Johnson administration is going to have a lot of questions to answer over the next few weeks. This uh, th this process is subject to a lot of scrutiny, but it seems like there may be some help. He was very out in front alongside Governor J.B. Pritzker to praise the Biden administration for offering some semblance of assistance, allowing people to expedite work visas. W what does that look like, Manny, for uh, asylum seekers in Chicago right now? Yeah, so the U.S. Department of Homeland Security announced uh, late Wednesday um, that it would allow expedited work visas for Venezuelans seeking uh, asylum in the United States. Uh, this move is is in lockstep with, uh, you know, Democrats who have been calling on the Biden administration uh, to do this uh, since migrants, which have largely been Venezuelan, um, have started arriving in cities like Chicago um, over a year ago. Uh, this decision basically would allow hundreds of thousands of Venezuelan migrants uh, to live and work in the United States legally uh, in the country for, for 18 months. Um, and as you mentioned, you know, the city's facing a huge budget deficit heading into 2024. Um, so this is an effort to sort of allow folks to be more self-sufficient uh, when it comes to working and, and providing for themselves. Um, so the federal government's move can help alleviate some of those burdens that cities that consider themselves welcoming to migrants, but simply don't have the infrastructure in place uh, to help them out effectively. Uh, you know, and, and like you mentioned, again, it's reportedly costing the city about $20 million per month to support new arrivals. Have we heard anything from the Johnson administration? How do we make sure people don't fall through the cracks? I read a story last week that... Uh, some some Venezuelans were not allowed back into a migrant shelter because they had gone out to seek work and, and had secured work. Has the Johnson administration given any word on how they'll help people transition into not only finding work, being able to secure housing? Because we know them, them early days of a new job, you're not immediately going to be able to just go get an apartment and get all the resources you need. Yeah, so the Johnson administration is working with um, various nonprofit organizations in Chicago that they fund, uh, for example, case managers who help migrants uh, with the process of their immigration cases. For example, I was at a I was actually volunteering uh, with a nonprofit organization last week. And um, I met, you know, folks who were connected to case managers, you know, where they help them with their immigration case to, for the possibility of them to stay, which, by the way, a lot of a lot of them probably won't be able to stay because they won't uh, be approved for asylum. Uh, so many might um, 
fall into the cracks, right, um, and be deported. Uh, and what happens to many who don't, uh, who aren't approved for, for asylum and to be able to stay in the United States is uh, they, 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 they get lost in the shadows. And we have seen that a lot with um, other immigrants, Mexican descent, Central American descent is, you know, they come, you know, to the country and they go through the asylum process. They aren't able to get their documentation. And so what they do is they change their addresses, they move, they go to different states and um, they end up, you know, falling into to, to the cracks. So it's great that we have this um, temporary, um, you know, protected status where they are able to work, but it doesn't mean that they're guaranteed to stay in this country, you know, for the rest of their lives. So that's a very interesting point. Um, I also want to say that um, this temporary TPS, temporary protected status, is for uh, people of Venezuelan descent uh, from Venezuela, uh, not Colombian, which I uh, met a lot of uh, Colombian uh, single mothers. Um, Good point. Precisely uh, at a particular police station. I don't know how many of Colombian descent exist in, in the city of Chicago in the U.S., but I wonder what happens to a lot of the Colombian uh, asylum seekers. Manny, I want to bring things back to you. There was a huge uh, initiative in our city to end the sub-minimum wage or the wage that is paid to tip workers. And there were some advancements in city council this week. What are the latest? Yeah, so there's a new proposal that would essentially put an end to sub-minimum wage for tip workers. Uh, it essentially raises the minimum wage for tip workers gradually over the next five years. Um, until it matches the city's, you know, regular minimum wage. Uh, but basically, workers would receive an 8% annual increase starting, you know, uh, this year or next year until 2028. And uh, this, of course, has a lot of restaurant owners upset, as you can imagine, and mm -hmm. worried um, that the increased cost would put so many businesses at risk of shuttering with the added labor costs. Um, you know, one bar owner told the, the Chicago Sun-Times that this would encourage them to close up shop forever and that some of their bartenders were already making more money than them, which, frankly, I find hard to believe. Um, but workers like like the idea as, you know, tips aren't guaranteed completely, right? You can serve a table uh, that the bill is $300, um, but not get any tip from that. Uh, so, you know, it, it, you're working for below minimum wage at that point, which really puts a risk for them, you know, to pay rent, to put clothes on their body, to, to pay their bills and things of that nature. Um, so it, it seems to be it has sort of a lot of the business class and, and restaurant owner associations sort of up in arms that this is a dangerous precedent um, with more workers sort of like on, on the fence with it, that they are in favor of it. But they also worry that this can cause, you know, businesses to, to, to you know, reduce staff and ultimately cut their jobs and cut their hours. Exactly. Um, so, so it's kind of a, a really tough balancing act here and how to to approach this, because this is one of Mayor Brandon Johnson's, you know, initiatives that he sort of was campaigning on. Um, and there has been some revision to this to make it more friendly. Um, but there still are concerns lingering. Yeah, the Illinois Restaurant Association says they didn't love it, but it is a compromise that people can get behind. Yeah. Do you, it pass through committee nine to three will go in front of the full city council over the next couple of weeks. Um, I got to ask you, are you feeling tip fatigue? I feel like everywhere I go now, the 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 registers change to where they just flip the little iPad around to me and they say, you want to give me 10, 15, 18, 25 percent. Right. In some places, I understood that, especially if I'm going to sit down to eat. But now I feel like I see that every single where. Yeah, I don't know how to feel about that. I mean, yeah, everywhere. Right. Uh, Chipotle, <laughs> wherever you're at, like they just, you know, they just turn it and then you kind of just like feel like, are they watching me? 
like how much I you got to you got to insert zero now. So it, yeah. it makes you have to act on it beyond just rejecting. You got to right. insert zero dollars right. if you don't want to give an extra tip. Right. And that I, I don't got it in me. <laughs> Yeah, and the, I don't have it in me to put zero either, you know, especially when they're like looking at me and I'm like, okay, you know, I got to do this. Like it's, it's, you know, I try to tip, you know, mm-hmm. whenever I can, um, even if it's like the, you know, minimum, uh, you know, when depending too, you know, on where you're at and stuff like that. But I mean, I try to, um, I know other uh, countries are not on tips. I think it's just the U.S. I'm not really sure about all the history, but uh, um you know, I'm I'm hopeful about this. This would change yeah. a lot. Alma, I want to stay with you. You had a Southside Weekly piece come out uh, a couple of weeks ago where you sat down with three environmental justice organizers, Trinity Cologne, Gina Ramirez, and Anthony Moser, the last two who we've had on the show. Um, can you talk a little bit about this piece? The piece is called uh, This Is How You Do It Right. And it's a feature story, basically environmental justice organizers telling the city, hey, this is how you do it right when it comes to environmental justice. Uh I spoke to a young woman, Trinity Colon, like you mentioned, who I met when she was 17. Uh, This is at the beginning of the Stop uh, General Iron uh, Movement. Um, She's turning 20 this month, and she uh, told me how difficult, actually, it was, you know, to push uh, the campaign forward, especially because she said she missed out on a big part of her her adolescence, her her teen years. Uh, She was often also... um, you know, criticized uh, to uh, when she would go up there with a megaphone and protest. Um, she was criticized in, in person and also on social media for like little things like the clothes that she wore and, and you know, her size and basically for being a young woman who was demanding justice. Right. Like I spoke to Anthony Moser, you know, he's a software mm-hmm. developer to dig through, you know, data that's basically just put on, you know, some Chicago, uh, city of Chicago website, right? And he cleans it up and he, you know, works on how to make it more accessible and more um, user-friendly for people, right? And so I thought this was like really interesting. Like he just does this because, you know? He, he, yeah, he tracked a bunch of violations at the the nearby asphalt plant in, in in McKinley Park. And through that has just provided more and more environmental justice information for people. That's right. And that's how it started, because asphalt plant is near his uh, uh, near where he lives. He lives in Brighton Park. Um, the facility is in McKinley Park, but they're like neighboring, you know, neighborhoods. In, in addition to promising to restart a Department of Environment. Brandon Johnson just this week announced some policy goals and and some reform efforts, things from improving better response times to environmental complaint, doing some more around air monitoring, air pollution, around public engagement for for, for new construction. Did these individuals you sat down with, did they feel excited about Johnson's administration, the rhetoric, and, and also some of these early moves? They felt, yeah, I I actually spoke to um, these three people about the cumulative impact assessment, which is, you know, a a 15 month process, which looks at um, where industrial facilities are placed in the city of Chicago, which we, you know, um, the report we needed in writing, right? Predominantly uh, black and brown and poor communities, right? But looking at like the goals and like the things, it's like the action plan, right? Came out a couple of days ago. Um, they are excited. Um, Anthony Moser is excited. So is Trinity Colon. And so is, um, you know, Gina Ramirez has been working on this for a long time. Like, yeah. 
you know, with pet coke and all of that happening in the Southeast side, they're excited, but they also vow to continue to push. So yeah. there was like this balance of like, we're hopeful, we're excited, but we're not going to keep our eyes off of this. Every episode of CityCast ends the same way with some good news. This is just something positive to get the listener through the episode, through the weekend, uh, through the rest of their week. Uh, Manny, let's bring it back to you. What is your good news? Well, my good news is really selfish. I just want to start by saying that and apologizing. That is perfectly okay. Yeah, but uh, in a couple of weeks, I'm I'm going to be taking a trip up to the Oregon coast, uh, spending a, some time up there. Uh, so pretty excited about that, and and looking forward to to you know having that crazy Pacific wind hit my face. You you talked about some of the things you love doing in fall, and a lot of it sounded like being outdoors: apples, pumpkin patch, corn mazes. Yeah. What What is your outdoor plans for when you get up to the Northwest? Uh, yeah, we're going to be doing a yes. lot of. Hiking, as you can imagine, uh, you know, visiting those trails that they got, some of the waterfalls. Um, also, want to do some 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 white rapid stuff. Uh, haven't really confirmed if oh, we're going to do that yet. Oh, come on! But yeah, yeah, it's definitely going to be. Ain't, I ain't know you sure. get down like that though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Alma, let's kick it over to you. What is your some good news? I mean, honestly, um, I love summer, but uh, there was something about the the fall chill that uh, mm-hmm. like very it brought a lot of joy to me. Um, I love to walk. I walk almost every day for thirty minutes or up to an hour, uh, and I just like the the wind and the feeling of the fall coming. Like it's very simple. Like, come on, do you like the layers? You like throwing on a nice little sweater, nice little shawl, or something? <laughs> Yeah, I, I do. I the sweater, like being all snug, like in your sweater at home too, you know, um, it, it's it just brings comfort to me. Honestly, I'm I feel a little bit inspired by both of y'all consistent walking and white rapids, two different uh, extremes on the spectrum, but both things that uh, excite me and I, I would like to try. Um, I'll wrap this up for us today. My some good news takes us to Soldier Field this weekend. Uh, no. The Bears are not going to be there. They're on the road this weekend trying not to go 0-3 against the defending Super Bowl champ Kansas City Chiefs. I do not say that with a lot of uh, joy or optimism. It's been a tough start to the season. That's not my good news. My good news is there will still be football this weekend at Soldier Field. Saturday, the Chicago Fire are taking on the New England Revolution. Both of those team names are very on the nose, but the club is celebrating their Hispanic and Latinx Heritage Month uh, with the first 5,000 fans getting a great prize when they show up to the uh, show up to Soldier Field. And then on Sunday, the U.S. Women National Team star Megan Rapino, two-time Women's World Cup winner, uh, Olympic gold medalist, will play her final international match against South Africa at Soldier Field. So if you're looking to see something at Soldier Field, some positive things at Soldier Field this weekend. Uh, Feel free to stop by uh, and maybe get your soccer in this weekend because Messi going to be in town in a week and a half. And them tickets go from $180 to somewhere around $2,500 to see the star who may not even make it out there. So, hey, football at Soldier Field this weekend. Uh, that may be the only sport that is consistently playing there in a few years. So go on, get hip to it now while you can. I want to give you all another huge thank you from Southside Weekly, Alma Campos, and the new investigative journalist for Block Club Chicago, Matt. Ramos, I appreciate y'all answering my email, looking up some great stories, and making time to come talk with your boy this week. Uh, I'll talk to y'all soon. Thank you so much. Awesome. 
Before I let you go, I want to give a huge thank you to the people who make CityCast Chicago. That's lead producer Samal Alisea. Our newsletter editor is Sydney Madden. Our producers are Grant Irving and Elizabeth Kama. The music we all love is from Sam Thousand, All the Kimonos, and Mark Greenberg from the Mayfair Workshop. Of course, I got to thank you. If you weren't listening to CityCast Chicago, if you weren't reading Hey Chicago, I don't think we'd still have a job, so... Thank you. Thank you. Uh, all next week, we got your fall getaway guide and bright and early on Monday. Meet us back here where we're answering your questions about student loan repayments. Yes, the thing I've been ignoring for the last two years. It's upon us. I'll talk to you then. Peace. <laughs>